increase my time. I sent you a text. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you sent to heal us, to restore us. Thank you, Lord, because you send these things to us, because you love us, because we depend on you, because without you, we can do nothing. Without you, we can't even change. We thank you, Lord, because you are faithful and you are capable. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to continue. Um, this is going to be the, the part two to uh, the teaching that I started on Thursday, Here Comes the Bride. And this teaching came about again because God instructed me in March to teach how to, to teach. Oh, I should speak up. This is the first time in my life I've been told to do that. Normally people tell me you're too loud. Okay, praise the Lord. All right, so normally, um, normally, uh, not, not normally, sorry, God told me to teach uh, people to obey his commandments. Um, and he gave me a revelation. The revelation was that there's going to be a separation. So before the rapture happens, the angels of God are going to separate the people who are truly intimate with God from the people who are playing games, right? And that separation is, become, is going to become very obvious, right? And this was, uh, this was the, the best imagery I've heard of what he showed me. He said his sickle is over the earth and he's going to swipe, right? And only those who are prostrated before him will survive it. Only those who are what? Prostrated before him. Only those who are bowed down in humility before him, who are submitted to him, will survive it. The rest will get caught. Amen? So, Matthew 7, 13 to 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate because the wide gate... Because the wide gate and broad path is the way that leads to destruction. Nearly everyone chooses that crowded road. This should bother you. Nearly everyone chooses to go on the path that leads to destruction. Why? It says the narrow gate, the narrow gate and difficult way leads to eternal life. So few even find it. So here's the first problem. Few people even get to find the narrow gate. That's the first problem. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So only those who actually... I like the word actually. Not, not those who think they are doing God's will. Not those who are led by their moral compass. Those who are truly led by the word of God. There's a difference between being led by the word of God and being led by your moral compass. I'll give you an example. In Israel, there was a time that God instructed them to go and kill everybody, including the babies, right? Including the babies, every animal, kill all of them, right? If you're led by your moral compass, you wouldn't be able to obey that instruction. If you were there, you would have said, ah, killing babies, I can't do that. 
But if you're led by the word of God, you would have gone there and said, oh man, in Jesus' name, die, all of you. You will look evil in human eyes, but you would be obeying who? God. You're not called to live by your moral compass. You're called to live by every word that God has what said. God is not telling you to kill babies. That wasn't the point. I was just showing you the difference between when you're just living by your moral compass versus when you're actually living by what God has instructed. Amen? Now, Luke 13, verse 23 to 28, it says, Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try, but will fail. This is the second problem. First problem, very few people will actually find it. Second problem, many the people who now actually find it, they will try. They will try to do what? To enter, but they said they will do what? They will fail. So imagine only a few people will find it, but even among those few, many of those few will actually fail to enter. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you came from. I said on, on Thursday, this should bother you because that where, I don't know where you came from means you are not walking with God. You thought you were fellowshipping with God. You thought you were walking with God. But God is going to say, I don't know where you came from. You just kind of popped out of nowhere. Then you will say, we, but we ate and drank with you, and you thought in our streets. You will be so convinced that while you are here alive, you actually, we are fellowshipping with God. You actually, we are doing the will of God. You actually were serving God. You actually were dining. You actually were in a relationship with Jesus. You'll be so convinced about it. But he will reply, I tell you. I don't know you or where you came from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown, what? Out. If this doesn't make you walk circumspectly, I don't know what will. If this doesn't make you evaluate, are you really in the faith or are you just blowing smoke? I don't know what will. See, it said these people will be convinced that they were serving God. So, if you go to Revelation 3, 20 to 22, it says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Who are the people that Jesus will actually dine with? Those who hear his voice and do what? Open the door. Don't live in delusion. The person you're dining with, that God you think is God that you're dining with may not be actually Jesus. It may be yourself. It could be your friends. It could be the world. You're dining with them. You're fellowshipping with them. And you think that you are fellowshipping with Jesus. But Jesus makes it very clear. It's only those people who, when they hear my voice, they open the door that I actually go and dine with them. I don't know you. We never dine together. Amen. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who hears, anyone with ears to hear must listen to what the Spirit, to what, uh, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the world. Must understand what he's saying to unbelievers. Understand what he's saying to who? 
the churches, this I'm knocking on the door was not written to unbelievers. It was written to who? To the church. It was written to who? That means that there are people in the church that God has been knocking. They are not listening. It's not unbelievers. Praise the Lord. They are not listening. John 14, 23 to 24, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them. My father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. These are the people that Jesus dines with. People who do what he says. There's no way around it. If you're not doing what God says, if you're not being led by the Spirit, if you're not obedient to God's instructions, you ain't dining with Jesus. You're fellowshipping with another God. Don't be delusional. It's better you hear it now than you hear it from him on the last day. Let's look at, um, let's go to uh, Acts 8, 9 to 13. It says, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke to him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because of because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were what? Baptized. Now, Simon was a sorcerer, and the people thought he was basically an anointed one, right? And he said, when they heard the gospel, many people were what? Baptized. Now, look at verse 13. He said, then Simon himself did what? Believed and what? Baptized. At this point, you will say he's a Christian. He's saved, right? At this point, he will be added to the tally that, oh, somebody gave their life to Christ, right? And we'll be thanking God, oh, look, somebody gave their life to Christ. The Bible said he actually did what? He believed and was baptized. He began following Philip, followed the pastor everywhere. I'm serving in this ministry. Oh, pastor, can I carry your bag? He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. Remember, he was a sorcerer. He said he was amazed by what? Not the knowledge of God. He was amazed by what? He wasn't amazed by who God was. He was amazed by the signs, power. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to do what? What was his God? Who was he dining with? He was dining with, he wanted, he wanted power. He wanted what? Power. He wasn't in it to submit to God. But the Bible said he did what? He believed. And what? Was baptized. But he wasn't saved. He was not a Christian. He just wanted that power. He wanted to lay his hands on people and they would fall down. Verse 19, he said, let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that I can know God and serve him. 
No, he said, let me have this power, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. You're not part of the sheepfold. Get away. He told him you can have no part in this. For your heart is what? Is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by what? By sin. He wasn't saved. If you're still being held captive by sin, you're not saved. You're not in the chapel. You're not a child of God. The first step is you need to be saved. You need to become spiritually alive. That's the first step. Don't deceive yourself. If you still love the world, you're not saved. Stop it. Stop calling yourself a child of God and confusing us. Praise the Lord. The most dangerous thing you can say to a believer is that you're righteous. That's the most dangerous thing you can say to somebody. You need to really make sure, are they truly righteous? Do you see the fruits? Don't just walk up to people and just be saying, oh, you're righteous, you're, oh, you're a believer, you're a child of God. If you're not seeing the fruits, are you, how are you deciding this? Praise the Lord. You have to really make sure you're seeing the fruit of repentance. Otherwise, you're, it's like a car is coming to hit me and you're telling me I'm safe. I'm safe and I'm like, are you sure there's, there's nothing behind me? And meanwhile, there's a lion coming to attack me. And you're saying, no, you're good. Please, check yourself. Are you really in the faith? It says, who will find him? So remember the first problem. He said, very few people will find him. And those people, those people who don't find him will not find him because they are not seeking him with all their heart. The Bible said, it is, you will find him when you seek him with what? With all your heart. Why Jesus said, if, if you haven't forsaken all, you cannot be my disciple. If you still want to be attached to the world, you still want to be attached to your friends, you still want to be attached to your opinions, your way of doing things, your moral compass. If, you, if, you, if you're not willing to let it go, you, you can't even begin this journey of salvation. You can't begin it. Praise the Lord. Now, if we go to the second problem, it said that, that um, even those who find it, they will struggle to enter, right? So there were two, there were two like, uh, close visions God showed me, um, and it happened on Thursday. So the first one was, I saw, I saw a big hall, and in this hall, there were so many gates, but all these gates looked alike, right? And even I couldn't tell which one of those gates was the narrow gate that led to eternal life, right? I, I was doing the, the kind of searching you do when you open the fridge and you're looking for food. You just open the fridge and you kind of scan. And then you say, oh, I, I didn't find it. And then they're telling you, no, the bread is there. Like, I don't see it. Meanwhile, it's maybe behind a bowl of rice. That is, you get what I'm saying? You didn't do like proper searching where you moved things around to see if it's really there. So God began to explain to me that the reason why, the reason why many people will not find this gate is because there are so many other options that look like it. If you want to identify the narrow gates, you have to inspect. Like, you know, when you look with all your heart, you're checking. 
get what I'm saying? If you don't look with all your heart, if you just come half-heartedly and you're just glancing, you will never find it. The second thing was, this was a vision I saw, right? It played in my mind a movie, and I had no control over this movie. I saw a man and his wife, what I can assume is his wife, right? And he had a gym, it was a gym bag, but it was bigger. It, but it looked like a gym bag. And then there was this gate, right? Apparently he found the narrow gate. So he, the, he and his wife, they were, they, their elbows were locked, and he was walking, and then he tried to walk through the narrow gate with his wife and the bag, but he wouldn't fit. So he stepped back, and he told his wife, let go. He let go of his wife, and then he dropped the bag. And he tried to walk in, but he wouldn't fit. He tried to decide. He wouldn't fit. So he now had to take off his clothes. He had to get, like, completely naked. And then he now, like, used a lot of energy, and he finally fit through it. But he was barely going anywhere. He was, like, struggling to... The, the, the hall was, like... You know those Indiana Jones movies where the wall... The wall closes in on you, right? The wall was, like, so close that he was, like, struggling to go anywhere. And then God taught me the reason why he's struggling is because he's not baptizing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit acts like oil. He began to show me if he was baptizing the Holy Spirit, it acts like oil, he would just slide right through. But the main point he was showing me is that this man could not fit because he was trying to bring extra luggage. You have to come in just with yourself, the entirety of yourself. You can't bring anything extra. You can't bring your attachments else you won't what? You won't fit. That's why many people try and they fail. If you read Luke 14 verse 26 to 28, it says, for if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Verse 33 says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. If you're still saying, oh, uh, you're still attached to, uh, God is talking to you, leave these friends, you're still attached. You're still attached, you're not willing to give it up. You're part of those people who love the darkness more than the light. You're, that's you, you're at the gate, you haven't gone in. You think you've gone in, you're at the gate trying, but you're not able to go in. Praise the Lord. Why was Jesus sent? So, Jesus was sent, and these were three things God revealed to me, right? So, you have to go through the narrow gate, right? And at the end is the salvation of your souls, that final salvation, right? And Jesus is that narrow gate, his way of doing things, his opinions, that's the way you have to live. But, but here's the problem, right? God, first of all, he, he, sent, he sent his way of doing things through the law of the law, right, through Moses. And nobody could obey the law. Nobody could do what? Nobody could live 
could, could, nobody could fit through that. Nobody could enter. Nobody. Nobody could obey God. The only way to heaven is to obey God. I, we read the scripture that says only those who do the will of God will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the law proved that nobody can do the what? The will of God. Even Paul that said, according to the law, I am perfect. He said, the things I want to do, I do not do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Which shows he himself was struggling. If not for Jesus, he acknowledged. He acknowledged. So what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to make it possible for you to do what? To do the will of God. And not just make it possible, to actually do it from the inside of you. The first thing he did was he had to, first of all, rescue you. So Jesus rescued us. If you read Romans 6, 6, it says, We know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be made ineffective and inactive for evil that we might no longer be slaves to sin. Galatians 1, 4 says, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God the Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. The first thing he had to do was rescue you from sin. So he had to come and pay the penalty for sin. You already sinned. You have a nature of sin. He had to come first and pay the penalty. So even if you sin in the future, God is not imputing it on you, provided you believe in Jesus. That's the first thing he had to do. And he accomplished this by his death. Right? Now, why did he want to rescue us from sin? Because he wants to marry you. Jesus has a love interest in who? In us. Jesus has a what? He has a love interest in you. In John 3.16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, but know God. You can just replace eternal life with the knowledge of God. That's what John 17.3 says. Eternal life is the knowledge of God. Romans 7, 4, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. Jesus wants to marry you and have children with you. <laughs> that, was the, that was the image that came in my head. Jesus came to rescue you from sin so he can marry you and the two of you can bear fruit. You can't be able to without intimacy. I'm, I'm, I mean, has any couple ever achieved that? Uh, achieved a merry type of this thing? You can't be able to without intimacy. It's not possible. Romans, uh, when I say to have children, not literal children, you know what I mean. Good works is what I'm talking about. Romans 5.10, it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death, by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we would certainly be saved through the life of God. And Galatians 4, 4 to 5, it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So, essentially, Jesus came to rescue you from sin. Why did he need you to be rescued from sin? So he can marry you, and so that you can be a son of who? 
God, much like if a woman married me, they would be my wife and they would become a daughter of who? My dad. Right? They would become what? A daughter of my dad. So he killed two birds with one stone. You become a son of God and become his, his bae, his boo-boo. Right? So this was, the, this was the vision God showed me, right? I saw a woman, right? This prince, he saw this woman and he loved, he, he liked her. Like it was like love at first sight. So he, he went, he, he dressed properly, you know, got ready. He wanted to approach her to let her know that he likes her. But when he came to where she normally hangs out, right, she wasn't there. So she asked around, where is that woman? I saw, there was a woman I saw here. I want to talk to her. I, I mean, I really like her. They said, oh, you didn't hear. She committed this one crime and she has been held by the authorities as a slave, right? Or jail, you can, let's do modern times, jail, right? So now what relationship, what quality of relationship can you have with somebody who is, who is serving a life sentence? You can't really have a relationship with that person, right? So this man went, spoke with his father and they decided that they would buy her. She's a slave. They decided that they would purchase her as their own what? Slave. But not for the intention of walking her to death. For the intention of what? Him marrying her. So they went and they negotiated and they, they spoke to the, the, the slave owner. They said, look, we want this woman. And he said, okay, it will cost you this much. And it cost him everything. Let's just put a number. Let's say it cost him $10 trillion. Like it cost him everything. Right? So he, paid. he said, that's fine. I'll even double it. This amount, he said, I'll even double it. And he paid. And now, he now that, that woman is no longer obligated to serve as a slave to that old master. But she is still a slave. But now to who? To the new master. So he tells him, look, listen, I purchased you as a slave to free you from this guy, right? But let me be honest with you. Where my heart is, is I want to marry you. Now she says, oh man, thank you so much. I appreciate that you purchased, you, you bought me over. Ah, God bless you. God bless you so much. Anyway, look, to be honest, I, I'm, I don't want to marry you. I don't want to marry you. Okay, let's even give her some credit. Let's even say she said, wow, wow, yes, I want to marry you. Oh, yes. And she jumped up. Ah. And then he said, look, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go back to my country and I am going to prepare a big house, prepare a feast. Then I will come back and I will take you and bring you into my country. And then we will live together. We'll get married. We'll live together. There will be guests. She says, oh my God, you're going to do all that for me? Ah, you've already done so much. She said, no, no, I'll do all that for you. He said, okay, okay, let's do it. So he, he puts his number in her phone and he goes. So he calls her, hey babe, how are you? She didn't pick up her phone. He texts her, hello, how are you doing? No reply. He begins to reach out to her friends that have his number. Please, can you talk to this woman? I've been trying to reach her. She's not answering me. They go to her and say, look, this man is trying to reach you. He said, ah, forget that one. 
finally she says, look, I'm seeing someone else. Now, in this vision I had, I saw all types of natural disasters. It began to happen in the woman's country, right? So they announced on the news that everybody should flee to this man's country. That's the only safe place. That's the only what? Safe place. But this man's country has a rule. If you have a criminal record, you cannot do what? You can't get in. That's the rule. But there's also another rule that supersedes that rule. And that is anyone who marries the prince, anyone who marries the son of the king, it doesn't matter if they have a criminal record, they are allowed entry. So this woman brings her whole family to enter this man's country. They stop her at the border. They say, look, we know you. You have a criminal record. We can't allow you in here. She said, look, no, 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 you don't understand. I know the prince. He loves me. So they say, really? Okay. So they, they get the prince to come. They ask the prince. You see that woman right there? She says she knows you. Who is she to you? The prince looked at the woman and said, I don't know her. Was he justified in saying that? Have you ever chased a girl you want to marry and she said no? Month one, month two, month three, month four, month five. No. She makes it clear, look, I'm not interested in you. Leave me alone. At some point you will do what? You leave her alone. So this woman is claiming, oh, I know you. He says, I don't know you. I don't know you. So now she was left outside the country and she died with the rest of the people. Now the contrast would be if the woman had, when he did that, she said, wow, thank you so much. And then he puts his number in her phone and he calls her and she's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? How was your day? Oh, no, my day was great. And they have a conversation. He texts her. She replies. The next day he calls her. They are talking on the phone for hours. His voice tuned into her. It's like if she doesn't even hear from him, she's like, oh, please, what's going on? She's texting him. What's going on? I've not heard from you. She cherishes his advice. She wants to go shopping. She asks for his opinion. Which dress do you like better, this one or this one? Now, the natural disasters happen. And she brings her family to the gate and says, please, allow me in. They say, look, we can't allow you. You have a criminal what? record. She says, please, just get the prince. Get my husband here. They say, okay. They go and call the prince. They say, look, there's a woman here claiming she knows you. Who is she to you? The prince turns and sees her and says, let go of her. Let go of her. That is the object of my affections. That is my true love. Open the gates. Hurry up. Are you? Open the gates. And then they open the gates. And then she goes and she, he grabs her by the hand inside let me show you my glory the things I prepared for us and then he announces to them behold the bride of the lamb and all of them go on their knees and said behold the lamb and his 
ride. These were the two visions I saw. There's a third one, but I won't share it. This is how people think that because they accept that Jesus died for them, they are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because they accept what? Oh, you know, Jesus died for me. He's the propitiation for my sin. He's the, he died. He came in the flesh. He's the son of God. They accept it. They will even debate you. They will even argue with you. But they don't engage God in an active relationship. When God tells them to do something, they don't do it. When God prompts them to pray, they are not interested. They can go three months. They are not interested in talking to God. It's only when they need something. Then they remember God exists. They remember Jesus exists. These people, they are going to come before the gate and they are going to claim relationship. And Jesus is just like that prince who say, I don't know you. I don't know you. We were never in a relationship. Who among you here is married would have married your spouse if your spouse was not relating with you before you got married? I want to see your hand so we can put you in the liar's section in the back. You're all married to who you got married to because the two of you, we are talking. You we are hanging out. You are giving each other gifts. You are the symptoms of intimacy. We are present. And it resulted in what? You now live together until death do what? Do you part? What makes you think you can enter the kingdom of God without engaging Jesus in an active relationship? One where you are playing the role of a beautiful wife. Is it not delusion? Is it not delusion? Some people are gold digging God. You just want the healing. You just want what he offers. I want to enter heaven. But you're not interested in knowing him. You're not interested in understanding his heart. The things that are important to him, you're not interested in those things being important to you. But somehow you want to come on that day and claim relationship. You're delusional. Repent. Repent from your delusion and come to a true, a true heart committed level of fellowship with Jesus. Praise the Lord. So Jesus came to rescue you from sin, to free you from that prison. Because he can't relate to you while you're in prison. You have to be freed. Then he came and he said, look, I want to marry you. Now, the third thing he wanted to do was he needs to be your Lord because he has to lead you to the Father. He has to lead you out of that country that is being destroyed into this country that is safe. But he can only do that if he is Lord. If you're a guide for me, imagine you're going on a tour and I'm your guide. And I'm, I'm trying to show you where to go. How will you get to the destination if you don't follow me? Explain. The liar, ushers, the liar section is, is prepared. Explain that you can get to that destination without following my instruction. It's delusional. You see, this is the example God gave me. It's like, it's like a kid in human trafficking. 
kid gets taken into human trafficking, right? So in human trafficking, they often inject them with so many drugs that they get addicted. Now, you go in, let's say you're the head of SWAT, you go in with your boys and you shut down the whole human traffic. You find their base of operation, you shut it down. You arrest all of them. And then you rescue that child out of that, that um, environment, right? What happens if you just give the child a handshake and say, wow, like now you're free, go and live your life? That child would die. Remember, he's doped up. That child is what? He's doped up on drugs. You can't live in that state. Yes, it's great that you, you freed him, but there's still work to be what? To be done. That child is so addicted, as soon as you walk away, he's going to go and look for those drugs. So you need to take him for detox, detoxification. You need to put him in rehab. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus didn't just rescue you from sin. He now says, look, believe in me. Let me come into your heart and rehabilitate you. That's why Paul said, if, 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 if there's no resurrection of the dead, we should just eat and be merry for tomorrow we die. And he said that if Jesus didn't resurrect, you are still in your sins. It's not enough that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. He has to actually be Lord over your life. That is, that is the world's, that is heaven's most effective detox rehabilitation program from sin. Is half the Lord himself leaving you. So you see, it's not enough to just accept that Jesus died for you. You must actually allow him to live through you. Otherwise, you're living in delusion. Say delusion. Delusion. You're living in delusion. Praise the Lord. First Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So you see, Jesus is trying to bring you where? Safely home. To who? To God. You are saved, but you are still in the process of being what? Saved. You are still in the process of being saved. How can he bring you safely to God if you're not following his instructions? It's not possible. Praise the Lord. So how can you identify the bride of Jesus? I gave you quite a few on, on Thursday. If you go and, go and listen to Thursday's sermon, not because I preached it. Because it was a word from God for the church. Go and listen to it. Listen to it over and over and over again. And assess, are you in the faith? If you're not in the faith, you don't have to panic. <laughs> Just go on your knees and tell God, God, help me. Lord, help me. Help me to believe in you. Help me to really trust you. Help me to, all this, anything in my heart that offends you, kill it. Any desire, anything I'm attached to, any God that I worship that isn't you, Lord, remove it from me. So 
So who is part of Jesus' bride? Who are these people that Jesus is coming back for, that he will welcome into his country? In a nutshell, it's people who do his will. Right? But I'm just going to give you I'm going to give you some things so you can gauge for yourself. Does this describe you? If it doesn't describe you, you should be concerned. Number one, his bride, they eagerly look forward to Jesus coming. I want you to pay attention to the word eagerly. It's not that they mentally know Jesus is coming. They are eagerly looking forward to it. Hebrews 9.28 says, So also Christ was offered once for all, for all time, as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to everyone who accepted him as uh, the Son of God. Huh? To everyone who confesses, oh, oh, Jesus is my Lord. We are Christians. I belong in the men's ministry. I'm a minister in RG. He said he's coming to bring salvation to who? All who are what? Eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? Are you, are you afraid? Are you, are you in the category of Jesus? Please hold on. Don't, don't come. I'm not ready. Are you eagerly? Are you like, what's taking so long? What is taking so long? Hurry, go, come now. This is, this is one way to know if you're on your way to destruction or if you're on your way to be given entry into where? The kingdom of heaven. This is one way to know. And I, I assure you, majority of professing believers fall into the category of people who are not really eagerly waiting for Jesus to come. They just, they just mentally know Jesus is coming, but they are not, there's no, like a heart cry, a heart desire for him to come. It's not there. That's how you know that you're not in an intimate relationship with Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.8, it says, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who kind of maybe he will appear. That Jesus is coming back. They sing the song, he's coming back again, my Lord is coming back again. No, he said, he said this, this prize is for all who what? Eagerly look forward. Notice that word again. Eagerly what? If you're in love and you're, you're, the person you're in love with goes on a trip, how, what is your heart response for their return? It's like, what's taking so long? If they call you and they say, oh, I got delayed, please buy me a ticket, so let me come. All this delay, delay. All of you that, that fell in love in the era of writing letters, you can relate to what I'm saying. People in the era of text messages, they may not relate because text messages like instant. But if you fell in love, which was not me, okay, I'm not that old. But if you fell in love in the era of writing letters, you can relate with, with what I'm saying. When you wrote a letter and it took weeks, and you were waiting for the return letter for weeks, you, ah. sometimes months. Yes, anyone? No? Okay, months. Yes, okay. So it's, it's like, is there, this, is there this eagerness for Jesus to return? If it's not there, that's a sign that you're not really engaging Jesus in an intimate relationship. You, 
confusion. Jesus, look, there's something God told me. He said to warn them, there's no such thing as a non-intimate bride. It doesn't exist. For you to be his bride, you have to be intimate with him. Anything short of intimacy with him is what unacceptable. Anything short of intimacy with him is what is unacceptable. He doesn't want it. This is why people think intimacy with the Holy Spirit is optional. They think that, oh, we have to be intimate with the Holy Spirit so that we can get the best of God in this world. No, you have to be intimate with the Holy Spirit because that is literally the only relationship you're ever going to have with God that God will accept. Any other kind of relationship is not interested in it. He said, love the Lord your God with part of your heart. Doesn't that describe intimacy? Does that not describe intimacy? Praise the Lord. The people who are, this is the next thing you should check if this describes you. What do you focus on? Do you focus on the things above or do you focus on things of this world? Your career, your job, your education, who to marry? What consumes your thoughts? is this somebody said things above i don't know i can neither verify i cannot confirm that for you but check yourself what do you what consumes you is it thoughts of you oh my family my career my job open this business this, check your heart what consumes it if it's not things above you're in delusion if you think you're in a intimate relationship with god Philippians 3.19 says, they are headed for destruction. The God, their God, listen, they are headed for what? Destruction. Their God is their what? Their desires. I want this high level job. I want medical school. I want to be a lawyer. Is that's their, is their God is their appetite. brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here what on earth this is why they can't eagerly they are not eagerly like because their mind is settled they have value in this world they hold the things of this world as valuable this is a sign that you're on your way you're one of those people that you're, you're trying you're trying to enter but you can't fit these things very seriously if your relationship with Jesus is not intimate you're on your way to being told I never knew you I texted you you didn't reply I was calling you you weren't picking up you, you never related with me on an intimate level so get away from here that's going to be you if you don't repent Praise the Lord. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits. Verse 2, think about things of heaven, not things of the earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. But only if you are one of those that you're setting your 
affections on things what both you're just so preoccupied with things of this world you're not part of the bride of Christ stop lying to yourself you can lie to yourself all you want but the day you stand in front of the voice of truth and there's nobody to validate your delusions you'll be forced to face reality that you don't know him and he doesn't know you Matthew 6, 31 to 33. So don't worry about the things, these things, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of Christians, baby Christians. These things dominate the thoughts of newborn Christians who have not matured. Is that what it says? No, it says these things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. When you see that your thoughts are preoccupied with the things of this world, it shows that you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. And any, any of you that this describes you and you're speaking in tongues, that tongue is fake. It's not the Holy Spirit. You should tell whatever spirit is speaking through you to shut up. It's not the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. The third and final one God revealed to me was his bride. They live in pursuit of pleasing God. They love Jesus and they submit to his lordship. They live in pursuit. Their hearts cries to please God. That's what drives them. James 1.12, he says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who kind of like him. That God promised to those who do what? And if you love him, you will do what? You will do his will. You will obey his commandments. So you see, eternal life was promised to people who love him. That's basically what he's saying here. That final salvation was promised to people who actually do his will. Not people who, who, who accept that Jesus actually came and died for them. You accept that Jesus actually came and died for you, but you're not doing his will. You're just not, you're not born again. You, you're, just, you're just agreeing with the facts of the scripture, which even the demons do. If you listen to Thursday, I showed you, even the demons agree with the facts. Praise the Lord. Philippians 3.18, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct show, whose conduct shows they are really, really enemies of the cross of Christ. They don't do his will. But these people can have a moral compass. You know what I mean by moral compass. They can do some things that look, it looks godly. It has a form of godliness. But how you know that these people are not being led by the word of God is that eventually something God instructs them to do will contradict that moral compass and they will choose their moral compass. They will say, I know the word of God says this, but I feel like... Search yourself. Go to God and say, search me. Search me. Go for a physical. Praise the Lord. 
But none of this is by your own power. Now, this is the good news. None of this is by your what? It's by your own power. The word accomplish, the word accomplishes it. The word of God accomplishes it. So I'm going to tell you how you go from being somebody that is not part of the sheepfold, somebody that is not the bride of Christ, to being somebody that is part of the body of Christ. Right? And you see that it's not by your effort. It's the word of God. And you will start to understand why the greatest prayer you can pray for someone is, Lord, open their eyes. You will start to understand why you need to be patient with people and not look down on them. Uphold them in prayer. Gently instruct those who are opposing truth. Don't look down on them. So, first of all, it starts with the word. God sends the word. So the word is preached. Right? The good news. We're talking about salvation here. The good news about Jesus. Right? John 6, 63 to 65, it says, The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people who can't, that people can't come to me, that people choose not to come to me, that people choose not to come to me. No, he said, they what? They what? They can't. Can't means you don't even have the ability. People can't come to me unless the father gives them to me. The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. In 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, you guys don't have this, don't worry. But it said all scripture is given for, by the inspiration of God for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Doctrine is just to teach you what the truth is who God is, who Jesus is, what his ways are. Reproof is, you, the word of God, the, the scriptures are given for you to test things, to see, to test for the truth. Is this thing true? This thing I'm about to do, does it line up with God's word? Is it true? You get what I'm saying? That's reproof, right? Correction is repentance. The scriptures, it evokes a change, a course correction back towards God. And instruction in righteousness is, it gives you instructions on how to live God's way. But I'm focusing on correction. The word of God evokes what? Correction. It causes repentance. The word makes you alive. 1 Peter 1, 23-25, it says, For you have been born again, not not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of what? Of God. But the word of God remains forever and the word is, and that word is the good news. Not teaching about tithing, not teaching about anything else, just the what? The good news, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, believe in Jesus, he is Lord. Just the good news. 
2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6, it says, if the good news we preached is hidden behind the veil, it is hidden only from those, from people who are what? Perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They choose not to see the glorious light of the good news. They choose not to see it. No, he said they are what? They are unable. They are unable to see it. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't preach, we don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts. They are the ones that made the light shine. No, who made it shine? God. And he gave the contrast, the, the, the example. In the beginning, God saw darkness and he said what? That's how you become born again. <laughs> it has nothing to do with you. It has what? Nothing to do with you. Has nothing to do with you. Luke 8 12, it says the seeds that fell from the, on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away. Why does he want to take it away from their hearts? To prevent them from what? Believing and being saved. So this is how this is how salvation works. Okay, think about your physical birth. What did you contribute to be born into this world? The liar section is still open nothing right what can you contribute to be born spiritually nothing how can you go to a spiritually dead person and tell him to believe in Jesus the scripture is telling you that they can't do you understand they what they can't but what you can do is you can sow the seed and prophesy to the dry bones you can do what plant the seed that's why Jesus said if you preach the word and they don't listen do what your feet and walk away. Don't go there arguing. They can't. The word has to accomplish it. You can't, this is something you can't accomplish. So you're spiritually dead. The word is sent. It gets to your heart. That word, the Bible said, is spirit and it's life. So you're dead and the word gets there. Life is getting there. Spirit is getting there and then you just you what? You come alive. Come alive when the word gets in there. That's how you become born again. If you're born again, get on your knees and thank God. Don't be acting brody, acting like you contributed to it. You did nothing. You're not born again because you believe in Jesus. I'm going to say it again. You're not born again because you what? Because you believe in Jesus. You were born again when you believed in Jesus. The two happened at the same time. But you're not born again because you believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus because you are what? Born again. You believe in Jesus because the word entered your heart and revived So, believing in Jesus is like your pulse. How do you know somebody is alive? How do you know somebody is alive? Are you alive because you have a pulse? You're not alive because you have a pulse. You have a pulse because you are what? You are alive. Once the word of God revives you, the instant you are revived, you are 
That's why the Bible said you receive the Spirit when. It didn't say because. You receive the Spirit when you believe in Jesus. This should humble you. You will never look down on a fellow Christian. You will never think that it's by your self-righteousness. It will do what? It will humble you. It will show you the importance of the word. This word revived you apart from your effort. You believe in Jesus because you are spiritually alive. Praise the Lord. In John 8, 44 to 45, it says, For you are children, for you, for you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of liars. So when I tell you the truth, so when I do what? You choose to not believe me. He said what? You naturally don't. You can't believe me. You're dead. You're what? Cannot, how can you go to a dead person and say, believe in me? What can a dead person believe? They are dead. So you just preach the good news. And you pray that the word revives what? Their hearts. And you will know that the word has revived their hearts when you see faith demonstrated in the form of repentance. They say, no, I don't want to. All this way, I'm begging somebody to come out and give your life to Christ. That's rubbish. When the word really penetrates your heart, you will on your own get up and say, I don't want to sin anymore. That's how you know somebody has a pulse. So if you see your brother in sin, you do a pulse what? Check. You pull them in and say, look, this thing you're doing, it's not good. We have the spirit of love. The way you spoke to these people, it's rude. This is not the way you demonstrate love. If they repent, it shows they have a what? A pulse. They are remaining unrepentant. It shows they are spiritually what? Dead. It shows they are spiritually dead. So the word enters. It revives you. Naturally, once you're revived, you have a pulse. That pulse is faith. Faith shows itself in action. Some people can have a weak pulse. Some people have a strong pulse. You don't need to check my pulse because you see me moving. So you know I'm alive. But there are some people, they are not, the evidence of their being alive is, is so weak that you have to go close and say, is everything okay? You have to check their pulse. Now, when you believe, the Bible said we believe, therefore we speak. So when you believe, you will live a life of calling. Calling on the name of Jesus is fellowship with Jesus. The Bible said Paul arrested those who call on the name of Jesus. When you believe, you will find yourself living a lifestyle of calling on the name of who? Jesus. You'll be fellowshipping with him. So the good news is you're hearing the what? The word. That's the good news. You're in the right place. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs>